Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. This is Script Shop, everybody. Hi, my name is Jack, and technology is a fickle lady. It, uh, ooh, I like that technology is a lady. Well, yeah, of course. Of course? Well, yeah. Well, explain the logic here. I don't know. I, I, I didn't really think this all the way through when I said it. <laughs> but you kept going with I it. I just wanted That's to why. do something to make reference to the yes. fact that we had a little bit of a problem yes. with this hookup, but we're good now, and yes. the show is on. And oh, yeah, we're doing the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Script Shop. And that's Jack, and I'm Allison, and mm-hmm. we're here to talk to you about screenplays and screenwriters and the stories that change your world and change ours as well. So, yeah. welcome to Script Shop. If you have a screenplay that you love that you want us to chit-chat with you about, you can send it to us by going to filmfreeway.com and looking up Script Shop on there, or you can go to scriptshopshow.com slash submit. Yeah, you have lots of options. And then uh, in terms of things on the computer, you also have Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and uh, various sundries of uh, leaving us reviews and subscriptions and notification buttons. Tell us you love us. Tell us you like us. Tell us if you need the show to be fixed. (laughs) Tell us you think we're mediocre. It's cool. (laughs) It's fine. We're okay with it no matter what because we love engaging and interacting with you. On these social media platforms. Let's extend the conversation past this hour of podcasting. If you want to do more than just share with us your thoughts and information, uh, you could share with us your money. Money? Ching, ching. We still use that. Uh, We are taking, uh, we we are on Patreon. Uh, If you look us up, Script Shop Show uh, on there. And if you want to throw a buck or two our way, we wouldn't, we're not above that. I have a funny story for you. Okay. Okay, so I told you my nephew was in town. Right. So he's five. He's running around the house and we have- How was his drive in? Was it okay? They and they flew in. <laughs> trying to imply that a five-year-old is driving a car. Good idea. Please keep going. So he's running around the house, and we have this catch-all where we put our keys and, like, I don't know, chapstick and spare change. Mm-hmm. And he's running around, and he stops, and he looks in there, and he starts pawing through it like, oh. And he pulls out all the quarters, and yep. he walks over to me, and he goes, look what I found. <laughs> and I said, Colin, you just took that out of that thing. You stole that. And he went. Ah, and his eyes got really big. Like, Did he get scared? He, I think he was trying to like, he knew that he took it. Yeah. But he didn't really see it belonging to anyone. Because so it's just it out there in the open. Yes. So I said, okay, Colin, you can have those. I thought it was hilarious. But maybe he could throw us a couple of quarters. And <laughs> yeah, make... hey, since you since you have a bit of a windfall there, Colin, <laughs> it's, uh, it's found money. Maybe Send it this way. Support help, the show. Help Auntie Allison out. And... <laughs> Quasi Unky Jack, but <laughs> but just barely, because uh, yeah. not even. I mean, you haven't even met this kid. Yeah, no, I don't know. I'm just trying to take money from children. It's fun. <laughs> uh, and uh, coming up, we this is big. Yes, this independent film festival clock it, is ticking. It's gosh, from the this recording date, it's one month away. It will be just about to happen when this episode airs. So, guys, wish us luck. We're so excited about the Cinependent Film Festival, and we want you to come. We want you to come to Cincinnati. We want you to visit with us if you live in Cincinnati at the Woodward Theater, August 23rd, 24th, 25th, 2018. Script Shop will be recording the live screenplay readings during the festival, and uh, then we will have those to share with you at a later date. That'll be fun. Yeah, good. It's it'll be nice to bank some stuff. Yeah. It will, won't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, get back ahead since somebody had to have a baby somebody and use up all pregnant. the episodes. Uh, okay, Frank, is that we like? You know, we 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 haven't oh, had you. Oh, to... we didn't announce the show. We didn't announce the the script yet. Oh gosh, that's right. We got it. Okay, <gasps> yes, that's that's true. Here, I'll do a drum roll and you announce it. Okay. We are lucky enough. Our uh, guest this week is Louise Wilding, who has written Sea of Caves: The White Tiger. This is a thirty-three page cross-genre fantasy short. Mm-hmm. I think it's cross-genre. We can get into that for yep. sure. It's, it's, there's there's a lot going on in it for sure. Yeah, vampires and transformative people and animals, those feel like they might exist in different genres. Well, you got there, we got we got our vampires and we got our, our were-cats and then yes. there are were-wolves. I and like were-cats. That word's great. Maybe some were-badgers. Who knows? There may be a whole animal kingdom of, of, of transformative people and out there. And there's so much to talk about. Yes, so there is. Let's... Uh, 
we want to we should probably get Louise on because she's been patiently waiting and been patiently dealing with us as we've worked out some patiently been dealing with Skype some technical kinks but I think we're good uh Louise are you there I am hi how you doing hi yay Louise welcome to the show thank you so much for uh dealing with us no you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) where are you calling us from I'm I'm in Nottingham at the minute nice how's the sheriff there the sheriff. The sheriff of Nottingham. The sheriff, the sheriff is fine. He's fine. He's no trouble at all. <laughs> no one's right ever now, made my, that joke before. My ever. biggest problem right now is a border terrier, so it's it's all good. <laughs> what is this border terrier's name? Mm-hmm. He's called Finley, and he is oh. he is like one years old, and he is mental, oh. but he's lovely. He sounds so <laughs> cute. I love dogs. Is he is he behaving or what, what's what's uh, what's no, the issue with no, Finley? No, God no. He's he's a puppy. He doesn't behave. He doesn't relax. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know. But from he's not behave. my dog, so it's fine. <laughs> Is he like sitting on your lap? Yeah, basically, I'm oh. being licked to pieces right now. Oh. Well, there's worse ways to go. Yeah, like in terms of interviews that <laughs> you have in your life, that's a fine know, interview to have. That's not bad. <laughs> um, well, Louise, tell us about your life as a writer. Have you always been a writer, or is this a new thing for you? No, it's it's, it's pretty new. Um, I think since like 2013, I was I was diagnosed as being quite badly dyslexic, which I. I probably already always knew, um, but I'd never been told. And um, when I was diagnosed, I was told that writing might be a way of sort of exercising, sort of like going to the gym, but just, you know, for your brain. Um, and I tried writing prose and I've written a short story for kids and that's fine, but it didn't fit. Mm-hmm. Um, but dyslexia, you might know, it's, it's quite a visual thing. And I, I did a five, I think it was like an hour long script class and um for like five minutes of, of that made absolute sense oh, and wow. since then mm. i've back so that's that's sort of been it really for me because mm-hmm. yeah everything is so visual when you're dyslexic that that prose is nice but it doesn't it doesn't feel like you can express yourself the way that you want to mm-hmm. but script writing enables you to do that because you you, you see it all before you write it so mm-hmm. I, I'm really enjoying this part of, of, of learning this. It's, it's brilliant. I love it. When you say so, yeah. when you say you see it all, do you mean you see it in your mind and then you translate that? Yeah, no, literally. Yeah. It is literally, I, I see in images. Yeah, that's how it works for mm-hmm. me. I can't say that I, that's the same for everyone, but for me it is, it is very, very, I see a scene and I write the scene as I see it. Um, I, I don't think I could do it the other way around. I don't think I'd know how to start, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, I mean, it's not like there's any kind of, like, pill that you can take. This is just, this is the way you're wired and you need to Absolutely. understand how to navigate that. Yes, yeah. And it's not being that straightforward. Um, but but it works. It works for me. I, I, I would love prose. And prose is, is, is fine for most people. Um, and it might be an easier way of, of earning money doing this. But <laughs> to be honest, it just, it makes no sense to me. I, I can't make it work. But mm-hmm. this... It, it just fits the way that my 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 mind and my my brain sort of visualizes the world. So I've I've been really enjoying it for the say it's not been that long, but I love doing it. What did you do before you were screenwriting? Well, I I still I still work in the chemistry lab. Um, cool. I love, yeah, I love that as well. It's it's very very different, but um, I I have that sort of analytical side as well as the creative side, and and I, being in the chem lab enables me to get that out of my system in a way. Um, but that's all it gets out. Um, so I need the creative, the creative outlet that's writing. So I've, I've, it's sort of a, almost a, if I don't do something creative, I go a bit mad. Yeah, <laughs> I get that. Well, so if this yeah. is pretty early on in your, in your foray into screenwriting, the, this, this, the script that you sent us, the city of caves, uh, you sort of included a lot of other information as far as like a pitch and some thoughts on things. This seems like it's been pretty thoroughly thought out by you. How long have you been working on this project? About a year, I think, all okay. in all, um, on this project. Um, I, I think maybe because of my dyslexia, it seems more thoroughly thought out than it would be for some other people. I don't know. But because I see everything visually, if I don't have it down in like a pitch form first, mm-hmm it's very difficult to go on from that direction. So mm. um, it's it always starts as sort of a mini pitch sort of somewhere in my subconscious and just spills out um, <laughs> however however it comes out. But I've, I've, I've really enjoyed Sea of Caves. I, I really enjoy writing this. Do you think that kind of form, forming things as a pitch first actually helps you talk about the project to other people? 
I do, yeah. I think it helps you understand where you want it to end up. Yes, yeah. I can um, see that. Yeah, it's, it's very difficult. If you just have an idea, ideas are wonderful and they come all the time, but if you don't know where they're going, then there's the, the kind of pointless. Um, if you know where you want them to end up before you start writing, then it's much easier to get your idea out in a way that makes sense to everyone, including yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I find one of the, the, the pitfalls of being dyslexic is you think you've explained yourself well when you really haven't. Um, oh, wow. Because you're, you're trying to explain it to another person that sees the world the way that you do, and not everyone does. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm for one, I'm, I'm married to a, a, an, an accountant. He couldn't be more different from me um, mentally. <laughs> uh, and it helps because I'll say something to him, I'll tell him my story, and he'll, he'll point out the big pitfalls because I see the big story, he sees the, the little details. Yeah. So it's very helpful having that, having both sides of the coin almost. But no, I definitely think having a pitch first is very important. Do you know, for, for me, mm-hmm. I mean, it might not be for everyone, but it definitely works for me. Mm-hmm. This reminds me of there's a a playwright named Annie Baker, and she, and yeah. something I saw talks about how she does lots and lots and lots of research, mm-hmm. and then when she's really ready, like she does months of research of just kind of this concept and thoughts, and she just follows along to see where things are going, and then when she's ready to write, she writes the first scene, and she writes the last scene. Oh wow! And then. Her, okay. her work is working through how those things connect. How, how they make. Yes. That's, yeah, that sounds fun. I, I, I'd like to try that, actually. <laughs> Let us know if you do, because it would be fascinating to hear how it goes yeah, for you. But I, I, I can see how that would work, because it's all about the journey at the end of the day. If, right. you, if you think you know how you want something to start and you know how you want it to end, it's all about the journey of the character, the story, the arc of everything. So, that, that, yeah, that sounds pretty interesting, actually. Mm-hmm. So you were, like I said, this this seems very thoroughly thought out, at least from what I was reading and what you sent us. The, we've sort of got one episode here, and in the little like yes. sort of pitch book that you sent us accompanying with it, along with casting and your descriptions of these characters, you've sort of mapped out this whole sort of first season of this story, along with potential future seasons. This, I, that's, I'm saying this, yeah. you put a lot of thought into this. Well, yeah, I mean, I, if, if you want to pitch something to a producer that wants to do something, they have to know that you know it's going somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's important for me that they do know that I, I have more than one season in mind for this. This this is something that I think would work very well over multiple seasons. I don't see why it wouldn't, you know? Yeah. And the whole uh, magic, supernatural, you know, metamorphosis kind of thing, is this something that you're sort of usually into and drawn to? Yeah, very much. I mean, I'm... I, my my favorite writers growing up have been have been Roald Dahl and Terry Pratchett. Okay. I, I couldn't think of two people that that use magic better, if I'm honest. And um, be, be having having that sort of history of reading behind you, it, it's very difficult to to f- kind of go off the rails. I mean, anything is possible as as long as it's sort of within reason. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, it's it's all it's all driven by that. My, my earlier readings and, and the things that have, 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 have grabbed me since then. But I, I find fantasy is, is a way of exploring the world around us now mm-hmm. in a way that doesn't necessarily point fingers. It's, it's an exploration so, of humanity, the same way that uh, science fiction can be, yes. sure. Uh, yeah, exactly, yeah. But without, without sort of blaming actual figures. You, you can just sort of say, this is how society is. Right. Wouldn't it be nice if... And and that's why I like fantasy and science fiction. I, I think it it gives you a lot more scope for just the exploration of of the human condition, really. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think so too. It's and really fascinating. You know, you mentioned Terry Pratchett. One of the sort of notes that I jotted oh. down was just in this whole idea of how there's this like society that exists behind the world that we all see. And I got that was a very sort of Neil Gaiman uh, Neverwhere vibe yeah. that I got off of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, like, I yeah. Another another author that I, I probably couldn't do without in my life, to yeah. be honest. So, well, and he and yeah, Terry Pratchett yeah, it's, did it's, Good Omens, which is pretty much my favorite book, and it's about to be a TV reading. show, and it's, yeah. I'm dying. It's really? everyone. Oh, my gosh. Love it. <laughs> I only just started yeah, reading brilliant. it. Well, don't put it down, ever. Yeah, right. You won't be able <laughs> ever. to. Ever. I love it. Never. So you said you've got some other, uh, do you have some other uh, pots cooking, a couple other irons in the fire in addition to City of Caves here? I, I do. I've just started working on something. Um, I've, have you read? There's a book. Um, it was written in the 1920s by uh, William Hope Hodgson. Um, 
it's, I think that's his name. I'm rubbish with remembering names. Um, the Nightland. Mm-mm. And I read that recently. And it's it's an epic sort of fantasy love story, but it's all told mm. from the man's point of view. And it's it's it feels like it's a very unreliable narrator in that he's this big sort of knight in shining armor. And I I, I, I kind of want to retell this from the woman that he rescues point of view. And oh, cool. at the minute, that's what I'm working at. I'm I'm, I'm so I have Sea of Caves and my new sort of pet project is The Nightland as well, because I think it's a very interesting story because it's a love that transcends sort of generations and a soul that, that, that finds a lover from an ancient time in a, in a far off future world. But just it, reading it felt kind of, <sighs> this guy painted himself as a hero constantly. And I just don't feel that that's really what it was, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. we're pretty good at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like just you know i was i did a really great thing look how cool i am and like you, they don't they yeah. always leave out the part about how it's probably our fault to begin with <laughs> exactly yeah so it was I, I kind of want to explore it from from another point of view and sort of do a sort of cubist sort of this is how it is from this person's point of view and okay explore his point of view as well because it's completely valid obviously but but there was more than the the book itself is a diary so it's just his point of view and yeah. it would be lovely to see how everyone else fits into that world. Um, and it's full of monsters and and, and mm. nightmares, and it just sounds very exciting. So, yeah, I'm working on that as well at the minute. But cool. I think City of Caves is still my, my big project. When you, you know, it's very funny. This is very fitting that, like, in City of Caves, there's a huge animal element, and this interview's happening with a dog on her lap. Yeah, right. That's, That's true. That's really <laughs> cute. I wanted... He's not stopping around. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Had a boy. It's like you just have to keep petting him so that he stays quiet yeah, and content. Just, yeah, <laughs> That's what I do with the baby sometimes when I have like an interview or something. I'll, you just pet I'll her? I'll hold her and I just won't yeah, try yeah. to do anything different. Yeah, you. That's all it is. <laughs> yeah. <Yep. laughs> um, should we just talk about kind of the general what happens in this episode that we got? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Please. Uh, if, I mean, it, it, Louise, if you want to talk about it, uh, you've got this. Uh, I love the way this starts, by the way. Yeah. One of my, I, I'm not sure where this comes from for me, but I really always like it when a story just kind of starts and you're sort of thrown into the mix and like it's up to the story to explain itself along the way. I like it when things just happen. And yes. the way this starts, Billy, our main character, this Indian woman, is swimming in a pool uh, and all, there's this dude there who's pacing her as she's lapping back and forth in the pool, stalking her, and yes. he's definitely yeah. a vampire. And she definitely cleans his clock within a couple seconds of him trying to take her down. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I wanted to start the story in a way that kind of grabbed people. Like, I mean, she's she's picked up by her neck in a very vulnerable situation by a man that has power to do this anywhere he likes, and he's chosen to do it when she is at her most vulnerable. And you know, he lifts her into the air and he, she should be terrified and she just sort of smiles at him. And right. I, I I, like that it takes you by surprise. Um, it's not always going to go the way you think it's going to go. Um, and then I think you are drawn into finding out what what is going on. Why is yeah. this woman able to turn into a tiger? What 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 gives her that power? And And this is what I've been sort of exploring for the, yeah, for the last sort of two or three years, and I've I've really enjoyed finding out about this. We've known about werewolves no. for a long time. That's always kind of exactly, been a thing. Yes. And but yes. so for you, then naturally it was well. Why couldn't there be were cats also? The, um, yeah, and the more research I did, it's totally a thing. I I, oh. I didn't know until I started looking. But there is a whole subgenre out there of of were cats and were tigers and 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 lions, and it seems to be that. For every breed of cat you can think of, there is the equivalent sort of were animal. <laughs> um, whereas with with wolves, it's just wolves. There isn't you don't get were Labradors. I mean, that'd be nice, <laughs> but you don't. Um, so Aww. it's 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 interesting to it, the interaction between the different species of cat and the way they behave with each other and with humanity because of their inherent sort of well instinct is is interesting and also why. I mean, Billy, she is Indian and she's she's never been to India. Why is she in this country in the first place? Why is she in the UK? What made her ancestors come? And and that all becomes apparent the more the series goes on. Um, maybe not in the first episode, but it's 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 very interesting to find out why they're there and what's kept them there. Um 
and her relationship with other members of her species and other species that she interacts with. And I, 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 I find it all very interesting. It's, it's sort of an interaction between what just different cultures, um, which I think is very important at the minute. There's, there's a lot of that happening and it's on the news constantly. And, and, I like to think that what this points out is that everyone really wants the same thing and really it's just all about acceptance yeah. and being able to do what it is that you want to do. Um, and this is what drove me to write this, if I'm honest. It mm-hmm. was just, it needs to be, everyone needs to realise it doesn't matter where you come from, it doesn't matter what your background is. Our, 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 our need to be accepted by other people is is really what what keeps us going. Yeah. Well, I do love stories that are, have enough depth where, like, the main character, you go through a couple of episodes, and you realize that it's not about, the, the whole story isn't about just the hook. It's not just about no. cats and vampires, but it's about somebody dealing with their humanity or right. non-humanity. Yes. And exactly, yeah. It's yeah. very relatable in that way, because, of course, people are very complex, and as a writer, there's tons you can do if you start delving into the day-to-day, I don't know, sure. challenges that people universally the mundanity of it all yeah well and also in addition to the cultural issues that this uh billy character is dealing with as far as she turns into a tiger and there's other members of this like council that turn into lions and other sort of beasts there's also a lot of gender issues going on in this too absolutely yeah yeah she's she's and and it all stems the more the series goes on you realize that it stems from from a very long time ago but at the moment all of the people who are in charge of her have sort of overall species of this where cat idea they're all male and they've been keeping women down for a long time through fear and also not just women but but species that are deemed less physically able than than the sort of the the top sort of five of the big cats literally it's about how they all deal with that and how they all come back and how they fight back from that well, and I thought that it was interesting, too, because that sort of meant that it wasn't so clear cut as far as, you know, the cats and the people that turn into animals are good guys and the vampires right. are definitely bad guys. Exactly. Because if they're keeping all these, you know, women as slaves and stuff, where's who are we supposed to root for here other than this main exactly. character that we're knowing right from the beginning? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, she, she's she's fighting evil on, on every side almost. Yeah, and right. For her own existence and to sort of justify her own existence and that she's. She has every right to be there, um, and that's her point. Her and Sally—they're they, basically out to prove that these guys have been claiming they're gods for centuries, but they know it's not true. They're just guys. So, listeners, Sally, the other character she mentions right. is a is a domestic cat, a were yes. cat, cat, yeah. meow meow. Yes. Little, <laughs> I'm meow. assuming a little cat, a were tabby, and um, Sally. <laughs> And <laughs> we're Tabby. Yeah. That's I mean, it's very appropriate. Um, so Billy, of course, is kind of like in the beginning, she turns into her tiger self and kills the vampire who tried to kill her. Just gives a big, big old chomp, and that's just it. See you later. Yep. Then at one point, she's talking to this council who's telling her that she needs to get in line and behave. And she's saying, I'm not going to do that. Do you remember what happened to the last guy that tried to take advantage of me? There's some flashbacks yeah. of her mauling some people. Yeah. Um, and it turns out that she has this friendship with this character named Sally, who we see yes. going into caves and kind of searching around for caves. Uh, or in these caves looking for something. And mm-hmm. we find out that there's this huge element of sense of smell, how characters are interacting with each other and they can tell whether or not they're vampires or kind of yes. animal changers ba- wear cats based on their smells. And ultimately, in this world, the vampires kind of exist and are hunted by wear cats. But uh, of course, as we yes. just mentioned, there's this other element of. Um, some of the werecats hunting the other ones because they don't think they're going to... Let's talk about Jack the White Tiger. Oh, yeah, Jack, 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 Jack. Jump in, Jack. Yeah, Jack's interesting. Um, Yeah. Jack is sort of... He seems to think that he's the same as Billy because Billy is very much against... She's opposed to the view of the council and the way that they run the lives of all of the, the, the cats that they sort of preside over. And and Jack is also opposed to them, but it's in a very different kind of way. Is is the cats themselves, as as are I mean, wild cats now, are, are they are an endangered species, and it's one of the reasons that the council have held on to their 
the sort of power for so long is this fear. It's always driven by fear, as these kind of dictators always are. Um, but Jack thinks that, you know, it's all about money. And, and he doesn't care who he kills. As long as he's earning, he's not really bothered. He's, he's a mercenary. And when he comes into the scene, he is employed to kill one of the girls, and he gets it completely wrong. Oh, and yeah. um, <laughs> that's what sets off the whole the whole story. So from, from episode two, that's when it really kind of starts going. But um, yeah, he, he goes after Billy when he really should have been going after someone a lot easier. That's really exciting. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Speaking of which, with that sort of a decent lead up to the scene that we were going to uh, do a little reading from, I think now might be an appropriate time to, to get into that because the, the, the okay. Jack Billy confrontation, that, that was sort of our, that was sort of our plan <laughs> to get into here, right? Okay, yeah, no worries. Okay, great. Listeners, um we're going to we're going to get into our reading so we're going to we'll talk to you in a second, Louise. Um and we're going to okay. we're going to bring Frank in to oh. do stage directions for us. Welcome back. Frank. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back, Frank. That was my terrible Welcome Back Cotter theme song singing. I, I mean, I thought it was pretty that was pretty great. <laughs> We're getting sued. Oh, darn it, I forgot. Well, there we go. That's it. Um, so in this reading, Frank will be doing our stage directions. I will be playing the character of Billy, and Jack will be playing the character of... I'm going to be playing Jack the White Tiger, yes. man. This and, mercenary. And I do just want to say, because we say this whenever we do this, that I'm not Indian. I am American and uh, very... I'm of German descent, but, mm -hmm. you know, that's not really totally relevant. Billy is an Indian character, and Jack is not a white tiger, or neither am I. Not with that attitude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so just keep in mind that these are not, we're not, we're not exactly the demographic that has been written into the script. And I'm probably not going to, I'm not going to try it in accent, because I feel like it would just no, be too cartoonish. Not. Yeah, no, people know Sorry, Louise, are. I'm not going to be that guy. <laughs> That's fine. Because like, it's, it's, it's just going to sound bad. It's just going to be like a, a pip pip cheerio nonsense kind of thing that I just is going to be insulting, and I can't do that. Okay, so Frank, take us away. Interior, Chinese bar, night. It's dimly lit. There are black, gold, and red lacquered partitions and plush red and gold seats around tables of white linen, a black lacquered bar, more red and gold furnishings, and large red paper lanterns hang low from the high ceilings. We hear quiet conversations and Oriental-style music playing softly in the background. Jack enters first and smiles at the seated guest, closely followed by an irritated-looking Billy. You took a stupid risk just to introduce yourself, cornering me like that. I'm young. This is still my first life. You're lucky that I'm able to control myself. What if I'd changed? Billy seems anxious, obviously frustrated. Talking in an angry whisper, she keeps looking agitated at the people in the bar. There's a protocol in place for that. Yes, a rather bloody one. You can't be okay with that. Look, I really didn't think you'd mind. It's just, well, I spent time with other tigers before, and to be honest, most women don't mind my company. Billy is on edge. We see the hairs on the back of her neck stand on end again. She shivers and rubs her temples as if fighting off a headache. Jack starts smiling wildly at her. Oh, so that's why you're here. Well, I'm not most women, sweetheart. Don't you know what happened to the last man who tried that? What are you so happy about? There's a snarl in Billy's voice. The bar has fallen silent. We hear a door lock behind them. Billy turns her head a little towards the sound, but does not take her eyes off Jack. Oh, nothing much. I just enjoy when things go my way. Billy finally looks at the people in the restaurant. They all have glasses filled with something dark red, and as we listen, we can only hear two hearts beat, hers and his. Shit. When she looks up, Jack has stopped smiling and is still standing with his arms in an open gesture. Indeed. These are my clients. The vampires smile at Billy, but some share confused whispers. They've asked me to have a little chat with you, see if I can't stop you getting in their way. I do admire your work, removing so many vampires. It's honorable, really. But it's just, vampires are hardly difficult to kill now, are they? Billy closes her eyes. We hear her breathing start to slow and calm. When she opens her eyes, her new expression causes a brief look of doubt to cross Jack's face. Billy walks around the room, from table to table, playing with cutlery, picking up a fork here, replacing it there, discreetly picking up a knife. 
Right. So that's why you've turned on your own kind, is it? You need a bigger challenge? Well, that certainly keeps it interesting. But they also pay rather well. I thought you might understand this is for the future of our kind. A new start away from the council. You thought I'd approve of my own death at the hands of my own kind while he's working for my enemy? No matter how I feel about the council, killing another cat is just not right. That said, what if I was to kill you? How quickly would they be able to find someone else willing to face me? Billy is right in front of him now. Well, I rather think that you don't know how to do that, which is why there is a knife pressed over my heart. You do realize that will have little effect, don't you? Or do they really not teach the women anything? Billy is holding a knife over Jack's heart. He moves closer to her, causing the tip to rip through his shirt and push into his flesh, enough to make him bleed a little, causing the closest vampires shift uneasily. Billy stands firm. Perhaps not, but it will certainly sting. Don't make me do this, Jack. I don't want to kill a tiger. We should be working together. Jack laughs, then snarls. (laughs) He begins to transform but showing off, making it take longer than necessary. Before Jack can react, Billy's jaw transforms into her tiger form, and she rips into Jack's throat, spraying the startled vampires and white tablecloths in Jack's blood. His body stands motionless before collapsing into a bloody heap at Billy's feet. He's all yours. Unable to resist, the vampires attack Jack's body, shoving each other out of the way to try to get at the bleeding body. Billy moves behind the bar, removes her clothing, folding them into her bag, and then turns into the tiger. She pounces on a vampire. Some try to draw weapons, others try to leave. Now frantic with fear, but in their panic they cannot unlock the door. Billy pounces again, lunging into a group of vampires. A vampire pulls out a copper blade and stabs Billy in the shoulder, breaking the knife into the wound. As each vampire is killed, small piles of dust appear and then are blown quickly away. Soon there is a single female vampire standing in the center of the room. She looks terrified. Billy roars and allows her to run and hide. Billy returns to the bar and changes back into her human form, wincing at the cut on her shoulder. She cannot reach the knife still lodged in the wound. She dresses carefully before heading to the door. Her footsteps are all we hear as she makes her way past Jack's body, avoiding the blood smeared across the floor. And scene. I love it. That's brutal. I wish I was brave enough to do a cat noise like Jack did. <laughs> well, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> Louise, I thought it was interesting that there was so much buildup with this Jack the White Tiger character. And then he just gets his head ripped off or his throat ripped out. <laughs> he was there for long. He was stalking her for days. He was like watching her across all these open courtyards and talking That's to himself, which I'm a real sucker for. I love it when bad guys do that like monologuing narration. I'm talking to myself because I have no himself. friends. He needs to hear his own voice. Yeah, he yeah. loves it. Oh, smart. So what's the deal? Why did why build up and then just kill him off so fast? I, I think it needs, I think we need to know that Billy wasn't drawn in by any of that. You know, he's still another guy trying to put, force his agenda on her. Um, and, and all for the wrong reasons. Um, she's trying really hard to do it for the reasons that she was raised on. Um the council have told her one thing, she should just be there to have children and to continue um, tigers just being in the world, um, which wasn't enough for her. And all he wants to do is just be powerful. Again, that's not enough for her. And she's trying to take down all of these these parts of society that, that don't speak to what she believes is their true nature. Um, and I think it was important that she killed him off quickly just to kind of get that point across. It's it's nice. Yeah. And, and when we realized that actually he was employed to do something much simpler than come after Billy, um, it was just his sort of narcissism that drove him to do what he did. Then you realize, actually, this guy deserved it. He was just an ass. Right. Well, and so and as, and as much as Billy doesn't get along with this this council, it, Jack the Tiger was hired by the vampires because Billy's yep. friend Sally is poking around and in sort of they're they're a little bit concerned with what she's getting herself into. Yeah, she's she's getting too close to, to what they're hiding and what and why there are so many um, vampires in Nottingham. I mean, 
Nottingham itself, I mean, that's where I'm, I'm from. This is where I am right now. And it's a very small city, but it's it has a lot of history. I mean, apart from Robin Hood, everyone right. knows about Robin Hood. <laughs> Thanks, um, Jack. I was the very first person yeah. to ever make that joke, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's been here a long time. Yeah. Um, but but we actually are. We, we, we do have a lot of caves in the city. We are built on sandstone and, and it was where the poor people lived and it's been, they've been inhabited for centuries. And I just thought it was an interesting use of, of if you were going to hide something in Nottingham, that's probably where it would be. And the reason the council is still hanging around is because there is something they're drawn to here that they've not told anyone about for centuries that Sally is coming into. So as much as it's, it's the vampires don't want her to know what it is. Um, neither do the council really. Um, but you don't find that out until much later on. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about uh, the vampires for a second. Mm-hmm. Why <laughs> vampires? Mm-hmm. Like, why? They're kind of window dressing for the beginning of this story. But, but what? What's the deal? I, I, I think vampires in this story, I mean, the council to me, the council are sort of... <sighs> For me, they're sort of like a they're like a religious sect. They they put themselves above everyone. They've said we are gods, we are this, we are that. And the vampires have come about because of the cats, which you learn later on. Um, okay. And they they kind of to me embody everything that 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 very badly run religions have caused to happen. So any uh, you know, there's always opponents to religion and and differing religions like and i think it's almost like it, it's very hard for me to explain because of my dyslexia well no, um, i would you know i was going to throw out there the idea of unintended consequences exactly yeah they are the consequence of of what happened at the beginning and mm-hmm. and if if you start putting yourself above everybody else then something's going to start rising up against you mm-hmm. and um in this story it's it's the vampires um billy billy was raised in the, under the under the guidance of the council, but by someone who defied them. So she has this whole notion of that she is there to do something more, um, and that these vampires are there because of the cats, and because of the cats, they stayed to, to clear the world of this evil. Um, so that's why she's still fighting that. Um, okay, you can't put that all in one of the first episodes. It would be too much <laughs> right. information to take, but this is, this is where it all eventually ends up. And yeah it, it is it's 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 again it's a consequence of what happened right in the beginning um that the people who are in charge now have sort of overlooked because they don't really care anymore right. but it's that's the evil that's driving the world and it's as much their fault as it is the vampires i get that that's cool i'm always very interested in stories like this where you've got some very supernatural things and the same thing with sci-fi we kind of touched on this before but the idea of you know when you're trying to tell this sort of a story like this how much of it is metaphor how much of it is like i think this would be cool to see happen it i I always think it's an interesting blend of what you're trying to say versus what is just to service the story exactly yeah no absolutely and it's, it's difficult for me i'm I was raised, uh, I went to Roman Catholic schools and my friends always say to me, but you are religious. And I want not, I'm not because of where I came from. I think almost I, 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 I struggled with the principles that I was taught at school because it was written. You know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. like, well, so what? I can write anything I like. It doesn't mean that it's real. I need, Mm. but then I, I'm also, I work in a chemistry lab, so I'm a scientist. So I have that side of, of, of me as well. And, and I think that, when you have a very analytical side and a very creative side, it always comes together in sort of fantasy or science fiction because it's the best way for you to explain how you see the world in a way that makes sense to everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, and, and, I, and I've always been drawn to, to fantasy and science fiction for that reason. I, I think, and I go back to him again, time and time again, but Terry Pratchett does it so brilliantly yeah. that, you you forget you're reading a fantasy book and you just see the world around you. So, and I would love to be able to emulate that. I mean, it's a big ask, but I would love to be able to emulate that. <laughs> when you are writing a world as a science fiction or fantasy writer, how do you develop the rules that kind of govern what this new world is? How do you go oh. about that? See, I, this is why I can't write science fiction because I, 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 
fantasy enables you to do stuff that just wouldn't happen. Science fiction enables you to do stuff that could happen if you had the had the knowledge. And I, I forgot the knowledge. Um, <laughs> and I like magic because you can just sort of, within reason, create anything. And as long as it makes sense to the story that you're telling, then that's fine. I mean, you can't have pink elephants walking around the street just because you want them. They need to be there for a reason. But mm. it's nice to be able to have that option. Um, and, and I struggle with science fiction because it's just too focused you have to remember everything you've written and I, I do not have the capacity for <laughs> it, it does tend to get a bit more a bit more detail oriented whereas when you're talking yeah. about magic and the supernatural you can just kind of do almost like a literal wave your hands and be like oh it's just magic <laughs> and yeah yeah and you may have to explain it later on but at the time that you're writing it then then it's, it's a bit freer I think and that's why I like fantasy over science fiction but I, I love reading both I just I, I couldn't write um, science fiction. I don't think. So when you are writing fantasy, you just kind of like go along and see where it takes you, and then maybe the the rules for the world present themselves as you continue yeah. the story. Cool. Yeah, they seem to do that. Yeah, that, that's that's the way it seems to work for me. I, I assume it's different for everybody, but for me, I, I write and I see what I've written, and then I kind of have to create a world around. Well, if this is the facts then why is that and and then i go from there um rather than trying to create the facts first and then write a story around it why uh was it important for you for this for the main character this almost it seems like she's being set up as a a chosen one type why was it important for you for her to be an indian woman i i'm just i I, i'm not indian i'm i'm completely uh a, a white british woman and and but i'm just sick of that's what i see on tv um there is more to every country, but especially the country that I'm in right now. I, most of what we see on telly is 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 generally white men, um, and I feel like if stories are told about Indian women in the UK, they are from India who have moved here. Rather, the Billy has never been to India. Mm-hmm. She she just has that heritage, and that's true of a vast majority of Indian women that grow up here. Um, and I'm I'm kind of tired of people saying, well, she's Indian. No, she's not. She's she's English. Mm-hmm. She just happens to have Indian heritage. And I think it's important that we get over that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm I'm very sick of seeing it. Well, you know, we need. I, I just need more representation in in the industry at the moment, and mm-hmm. especially as a woman. But more that you know, there's this, it's not everyone in, in, in here or in America or most places, there's a lot more diversity than you would know from just turning on the TV. And I thought it was important that we had a character who was intrinsically English and had very English values and wanted to do what's best for her people and her country, but not be a white person. Mm-hmm. There is a bit of an internal logic as far as she's of Indian descent and turning into a tiger. When At one point when she's meeting yes. with the council, there's a, a black man who has the indications that he's turning into a lion. A lion. Yeah, so yes. I think there is an internal logic there for sure. There is, there is. And they, they, um, this is what the council have always tried to do. They, I mean, when you if you want to get into the, the minutiae of it, the, the, it's very difficult in the world that I've built for... Uh, a tiger to mate with a lion because their offspring, again, like they would be in in real life, wouldn't be able to have children. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 keeping sort of species with species. But Billy, she doesn't fit any of that, and she's always felt a bit out uh, outplaced anyway before before she she even started out. And um, she she does end up falling in love with Sally, who is not only female but also um, she's she's white and she's a completely different species, and it, it raises a whole lot of questions on on that side of things as well. But yeah, it it, it does. They are very much split down. This is the species you are born into, and and because of the way the council is run, these are the species that you will only ever be able to to breed with, and and. There's no sort of sense of love in their community at all, which which I think is it's a worrying trait, if you ask me, in in our society. So yeah, I, I, I needed that sort of compassion to come back. Definitely wading them. into some metaphor here. Now. Yeah, and I I do love metaphor yeah. because there's so much like with the species and being born into this or that that deals with race and race issues, which sure. is really really important. And culture well. and class and all yep. that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Everything. All of that. 
Um, I wanted to touch to, we talk about what people smell like a lot in this story, and I just wanted <laughs> to hear what you had to say about that. Well, I was, it was, that that really came from watching my, my cats interact with me. I mean, I've got dogs and cats and tortoises and all sorts of animals, and, and my dog is just generally happy to see me because, you know, he's just, he's a Staffordshire Bull Terry. He's happy to see people. Um, but my, my cat, cats are very different in the way that they choose to interact with you and it's all with them it's to do with pheromones and if if I'm lucky enough to get my cat to like he rubs his face on my face that's a very very affectionate it's a very personal act on the behalf of the cat not for me I don't care but you know that's for him that's a big deal and I wanted especially in the shower scene with Billy and Sally I wanted that that touching of heads is very important Mm -hmm. it's not it's not in there just it's because that's how, as a cat, you you would show your respect for mm-hmm. or your love for someone else, and I, I wanted it to to come across that their affection isn't. They're obviously friends, but it takes them a long time to realise that it's much deeper than that. And I, and I wanted it to come across in small little ways. And I thought if I looked at the ways cats actually interact with one another outside of how people interact with one another, then it would give me a way of of weaving their relationship closer without making it very visceral. Mm-hmm. I, I felt like that scene came across as very intimate without being overtly sexual or romantic, really. It's, it was just yes, this moment yes. where they were there for each other. Yeah, and that's, and that's what I wanted, really. It's, it's, it's just that pure sort of, it's all instinctive, it's all pheromone, and, and that's how part of their, they, they, that's how they, cre- they, 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 um, they connect partly. There's other ways, but that part of them is still quite strong. And it's it's important that we realize that the cat side of them is as important to them and to their relationship as the human side of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. I like it too, because the vampires can smell people as well. Yeah. So the, I mean, of course, everybody knows that smells are very potent, very powerful, yeah. but the vampire also having that instinctual. Yeah. He knows, he knows that the cats, but they can't necessarily and they, they they couldn't tell whether she was a tiger or or, right. a, or some other kind of of cat from India. They they wouldn't know. Um, so they just know that she could pose a threat. So any cat for them could be an issue, but generally not because most of the cats that they come into contact with are probably domestic and therefore not really a problem. Mm-hmm. So you've got this story mapped out a good couple seasons worth of programming in terms of where the story goes generally speaking. How much of it is story based and you know as you deal with characters and the way they interact with each other and how much of it is what kind of maybe message you want to weave in there in terms of humanity and and, and culture and and that sort of thing. I think I would like it to be the latter, but I think it's probably the former because of, because I'm a writer. It, it's difficult. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want it to speak to everybody and I want it to be this this sort of, you know, come on, people, just, you know, pull your act together. We're, right. we're better than this. Right. But I, I, I just don't think that that's possible I, with the TV show. It would be nice. Um, but I think that if you explore the journey of each individual character, um, because it's not just – we find out as as this goes on that actually our vampire, who we think is the big bad, actually he's not that bad. He's just a victim of circumstance as well. Cool. Um, so it's it's really comes down to all of the crap that has happened to Billy throughout her life is because of the decisions that the council have made from the time that they were formed um, to now, and it's how they deal with that. And there's infighting, and and there are a sect of people who are sort of I suppose you would call them more right wing they're traditionally English they're the English cats they want their world back they want their life back they don't understand why these big cats are ruling them because they're not from there and there's a section of that as well so it's all it becomes quite complex towards the end of it really so you've put a ton of thought into this. You not only sent us the script, but also a, a sort of an idea book with uh, imagery and sort of a, a general outline of things. If somebody hears this and is, thinks, wow, this is a cool world, I'd love to explore this more, what, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Oh, um, however they like. Email, uh, phone calls, I'm up to anything, really. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, we'll definitely have some form of contact information uh, for you on yes, our website. Yeah, my email address is always is always open for correspondence definitely great excellent 
Well, it was wonderful talking to you about this world. Thank you so much for taking time out of your world. Thank you. I'm so pleased with myself for saying that. You should be. It was good. (laughs) Louise, thanks very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, The script is City of Caves, The White Tiger. You can uh, read it now on scriptshopshow.com slash scripts. Thanks, Louise. Well, thank you very much. I like that a lot. I mean, I I always like, like I said, I like it when there's stuff that's so crazy fantastical but yep. set in the real world yep. and what someone's trying to say with that mm. how much of it is metaphor how much of it is yeah i just wanted to see a tiger bite a vampire's head off yeah like where the pieces of it's like you know she talks about exploring humanity mm-hmm. and it makes me think about her as a writer sitting there thinking about things and just bending the edge of what is true now mm-hmm. to like facilitate these larger thoughts that she has which is really 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 cool yeah, agreed. I always wonder if there's like normal humans that exist in worlds like this. Like in Harry Potter, they have muggles. Right. And that's how they talk about that there are normal humans. Well, there's a whole bit about this. how some of the vampires are kind of hunting people. When when Billy oh, goes to the club, there's okay. a woman that's sort of in the private section and the vampires are about to have themselves yep. a little snack. Well, I thought that that person was like, that person seemed kind of more pure and maybe it's because she was a human. Right. But they were like, didn't they say, talk about like how tender she was or something? It seemed like she was like a like a good spirit, like almost an angel or something. Well, she might, I mean, there is that whole sort of in the thrall of the vampires, romanticism and stuff, right. hypnosis, mind control kind of stuff. She may have just been somebody that they, yes, come here. Come here, I will buy you a drink in this club. Yeah, come to, we're in, we're in the we VIP section. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put your name on the list. Uh, if you would like to put your name in Instagram you next to me. You'll be IG Hashtag. famous in weeks. <laughs> if you would like to put your name on our list. Yay! Hashtag uh, Script Shop Show. There is a way you can do that by uh, sending us your script. And you can do that by going on to Film Freeway and looking us up, Script Shop Show, or going over to scriptshopshow.com slash submit. Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and talk to us. Or leave us a review somewhere. We'd love that. And uh, get your tickets to the Independent Film Festival, syndependentfilmfest.org. Yeah, it's all happening. It's all happening. And until next week, friends, that's a wrap. Script Shop was created by Allison West, hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley, produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.